0: Hey, it's me. Um, It's Tuesday, I think the 22nd of June. I had my second call for transplant that didn't go through. Um, Another donor was meant to get the lungs. I found out today that actually he didn't because the lungs threw a clot, a blood clot, and they couldn't be used at all. I just tried to recover from the journey last night of thinking maybe I would be getting my lungs, and then I didn't. I'm starting to crack under the pressure, but, um, I'm tired. I'm tired of waiting and tired physically. <clears throat>
1: um, I was talking to my friend with CF who has decided to get a transplant. She's on the list and she's waiting. Um, it could be any day now. I was talking to her and telling her how excited I am for her and how great it's going to be for her. She started expressing how she felt bad for me because I wasn't getting a transplant. just kind of made me think, like, a lot of people think that if you don't get a transplant, you're just kind of resigning to die. And... That's it's not the case. I, it's the opposite. I, I want to live. I want to like. I want to do everything I can with the time that I have. However much time that may be. I'm Brian Circus, twenty-eight years old. Nope, twenty-nine with CF cystic fibrosis.
0: I'm Mary Elizabeth Peters. I'm 29 years old. I'm a drama teacher and a poet. When I was born uh, with cystic fibrosis, kids lived till about 8 or 10 years old. So being my age and the other CF patients that are my age have had this kind of unique experience of kind of chasing the demographic. You know, now that I'm 29, the average mortality is around 37. I grew up always thinking, Oh, I'm only going to live to be 10. Oh, I'm only going to live to be 15.
1: I was diagnosed when I was 3. And I was really healthy up until about 22. And since then, there's a pretty sharp decline over the next, like, 5 years or so.
0: My lung capacity kind of was falling away from me in a very slow way as I was growing up and through college. I was having, you know, a little bit of sickness here, a little bit of sickness there. So then by the time I was in my early 20s, I was down to about 40% lung capacity. The lung function that I'm at right now is about 19%.
1: Last year, I got really sick. You know, they they were surprised that I recovered and it was just, it's been a slow recovery. I had to move back home from Boston.
0: You know, in many ways, college is, you know, you have all this free time. And then you move into the work world, and you have to be somewhere every day at a certain time and be there for eight, nine, 10 hours. And it gets more difficult to figure out, well, how am I going to do three treatments a day? How am I going to get enough sleep?
1: Well, what do I miss about Boston? I mean, all my friends. I really miss them. I miss the independence. I miss Fenway. <laughs> I miss going to the park. I miss driving. When I was in the ICU and my lungs were failing, the doctors were talking to me and my family about me dying and all the things we needed to do to prepare for that. And then just, I don't know, it just kinda, out of the blue I started getting better. Still don't really understand why. Presumably all of the drugs they were pumping into me. So anything would have been better than, you know, dying. (laughs) But no, I, you know, went through rehab it's crazy. I it was, it was, it was, it was. I know. Right, Lily? Yeah.
2: My name is Ahmed Euler, Director of the Adult cystic Fibrosis Program at the Combined Children's Hospital Boston and Brigham and Women's CF Center. Beth and Brian. We're part of our CF center. Cystic fibrosis is a genetically transmitted disease and uh, it impacts about 30,000 uh, people in the US.
1: There's a deficiency in the, it's called the CFTR, CFTR gene, gene, or
2: the cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator gene, which leads to dysfunction in multiple organs. It predominantly affects the lung. And in the lungs, when you have a dysfunctioning protein, you end up having a dehydrated airway surface liquid layer. This simple abnormality where chloride is not being regulated properly at the cell surface essentially doesn't allow for bacteria and other debris to be cleared. It also is very hospitable to bacteria. Bacteria
1: can thrive so bacteria that are normally pretty harmless to regular people will become uh, very dangerous.
2: Um, Chronic infection and inflammation that slowly uh, destroys the lung. It is
1: a disease affecting the endocrine system. So most people produce wet, slippery mucus. mucus.
0: Which is gross, right? I, I always say CF is the grossest disease anybody could have.
1: Thicker, and like sticky mucus. The
0: mucus that's in your lungs, that's in your digestive system, in your gynecological system. Um, instead of being thin and being used for its proper functions in different areas of the body, it is too thick. It kind of grabs germs and grabs diseases.
2: Very friendly to bacteria. And
0: keeps them and lets them grow.
2: And
1: uh, in the lungs, it just clogs up the airways. so eventually... What we call an obstructive ventilatory defect. You, you know, you just have a lot of trouble breathing.
0: You feel kind of like you're drowning all day. <coughs> So what's happening is that the whole theory behind it is I'm pounding on his chest so that I can loosen all the thick mucus that he has more than you and I because he needs to cough it up because if he doesn't, that's when he gets the bad infection. The light beating of your chest in different positions to drain the mucus and to open up the airways beating yourself, like beating mucus out of yourself. This is something that he has to have every single day. Coughing helps. Not everybody loves to cough. Because for them, when they start coughing, sometimes they can't stop coughing or sometimes they cough so hard it makes them want to throw up.
1: When you cough up, that big plug that you just, like, feel has been causing you trouble, and now it's gone, it's, it's relieving. It's... And I was really healthy up until when I first started growing sepatia.
2: Uh, we usually say that there's no emergencies in CF, um, but this bacteria presents an emergency. A group of organisms that we know that cause a worsening uh, disease in CF patients, in fact, when you use the word sepatia, it is uh, patients feel this is a, a death sentence. They feel like this is the bacteria you need to avoid.
0: There was a time when it seemed like a lot of patients were contracting sepatia and ad- adult patients who were doing relatively well and then, and then getting sepatia and then immediately having a, ve- you know very, getting very sick very quickly from it.
2: These bacteria um, also impact the way you survive um, the post-lung transplant,
1: because the sepatia can come back even after the lungs were taken out and replaced with new ones. And they think it's because the sepatia doesn't just get into the lungs; it gets into the blood. It gets gets into the whole body. Considering the the life I'd have to live just to go through this to have, you know, just a 50% chance of surviving just didn't sound like a good decision for me in the way I've lived in my life. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather fizzle out, you know, than fade.
2: You know, many years ago, uh, we, used to have CF patients play together, go to camps together, and hang out together, until we noticed that these bacteria were spreading more rampantly.
1: In the hospital, we had our own little CF crew, because it was just like kind of a steady rotation of us throughout the year. The nursing staff all knew us and loved us. Well, you know, knew us anyway. And we were just kids, and it was kind of like a a second family.
0: And then now in adulthood, they don't want us to have any contact at all.
1: You know, as we got older, got sicker, my first friend died when I was, I think, 11 or 12.
0: I had a very close family friend um, who actually passed away when I was like 13 or 14.
1: You know, that's when you start. That's when I started like considering my own mortality.
0: What is my relationship with my lungs? I I don't hate them. Um, I feel like my lungs are like a really poorly behaved child. You know that it's like my job to coax them and take care of them and rub them and hold them, um, but then sometimes they're really really bad and I. And I get really angry at them and want to give them a time out.
1: I don't want them anymore. <laughs> I'm done with them. I want to, I wish I could break up with them. Yeah. It's not my lungs. It's the stuff in my lungs. And I hate
0: that stuff. My biggest difficulties getting on the transplant list was facing the reality um, that part of my body would literally be removed. Thinking of all of those cells and parts of my body and my life's memory and journey taken out of me and then somebody else is put in, it was kind of hard for me to wrap my head around.
1: I mean I would have no problem cutting them out of me. (laughs) Like I'm not attached to these other than them being attached to me.
0: It's been just a really difficult couple days and um and People say that I have all this energy, and the truth is that I do have that energy, and then like one day a month I fucking lose my shit and cry all day, so I'm trying to like get out of that mindset, but I think it's actually good to just have a day where I just am like, this sucks, and I'm going to spend my whole year like this, and then I might not even make it. (sighs) Which is kind of why I never really wanted a transplant, because I didn't want to spend the last year of my life like this alone in my house, not accomplishing anything, or feeling that way, and then I might not make it anyway, you know. This is kind of where I'm at right now. Well, it was really difficult. I mean, I I would say a year and a half ago, I, I wasn't even considering lung transplant. Because I've watched a lot of friends or family members go through it and have great difficulty or pass away rather quickly after their transplant. My thought was I wouldn't want to die twice you know I wouldn't want to go through the whole process of preparing for death and then get a transplant and then a year later be dying again.
1: At that, at that point when you're so sick that you're needing a transplant or I should say at this point, um, a lot of times it's easy to feel like you don't have any control. And uh, that, that's something I, I have control over is, you know, it's a decision I can make. It's firm. And also, you know, I kind of know how it's going to be at this point.
0: I get it that, you know, other people would say, if this is it, if this is how my life is ending, I don't want to spend that time being a lab rat.
1: You know, it's just a lot of soul searching, I guess you'd say. You know, a lot of questioning the ideas that are presented to me and just, I think asking the questions that everyone asks themselves maybe just a decade earlier. (laughs)
0: Oh my god, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. Okay, I can't. Uh, I'm not really freaking out. Oh,
1: this is Oh cell. my god, nobody's answering. answering
0: the oh, phone? me or if you need I response. mean, have we had so many false alarms that nobody's answering?
2: hang <laughs>
0: Hello, it's Beth. It's Beth. Call me back. I'm gonna try one more time, and then I gotta get on the road. Hello. Hi, mom. I got a call. I knew it. Um, as the primary recipient, but I gotta get everything ready. Right. I gotta. Carl's um here in my driveway, so I'm gonna um go, and then I'll call you at the hospital. And give you more details.
1: Okay, you're at Boston.
0: Yeah, at Boston. Okay. No. All right. And it's a young, it. it, It's a young donor. I knew it. Okay. Yes, I knew it. All right. Okay. okay. I know you're busy. Call me back. Okay, I love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Hi, this is Beth Peters. I um, am a lung transplant recipient from July 27th, 2010. The third time I was called in was the time that I got my transplant. I was feeling really excited and I was feeling really like I just wanted to get it over with because the more time that went by the more I I started to think about the actual process of it Um, and that was making me very emotional. I call them boyfriend (laughs) because I'm convinced that they're male. I don't know if the donor was male or not but the things that they do are very masculine. Like they burp all the time, they make me burp. I never burped before, I'm quite a lady, and now all of a sudden I burp all the time, like a man. The weirdest sensation is that more than half the time when I cough, there's nothing, there's no, it's just like, (coughs) that's it, you know? And I never had that experience before. To know that like normal people cough and clear their throat and they don't cough something up, who knew? Well, I remember right after I got my transplant, I told my sister that my lungs felt like a big empty cave. Um, And they still kind of feel that way because I I can't feel everything. And before, I could feel every single thing that happened in my lungs, like if I had fluid here or bleeding there or whatever, I could feel everything. And now I can't really feel anything. So when I inhale, I can just keep inhaling, and it seems like I don't really know when it ends. So I kind of still think of them that way as like a big empty cave. (laughs) You and I have a similar situation. Like kind of up until the the transplant part of it.
1: How's it working out?
0: It's going pretty well. I mean, um, I had a, a pretty rocky road right after my surgery, and was really, you know, pretty ill for about a month. And then from the point I got home, things have been getting back to normal with kind of a crazy speed. Um, <laughs> I can wake up in my bed and be in my car in like twenty minutes. Like, which is what normal people do who are, like, about to be late to work. And I've never been able to do that before.
1: <laughs> Frankly, I, it just makes me wish I didn't have sapatia. I mean, I would, uh, I think I would transplant an heartbeat if I, if I didn't. A few months ago, I, uh, I had an episode of hemoptysis, which is coughing up blood and um, I woke up in the middle of the night I was like gargling and I knew what it was so I got up because this has happened to me before you know I was just kind of spitting it out as it came up but it kept coming up and it kept coming and I like couldn't breathe and it suddenly occurred to me that this is probably how it's going to happen. This is what dying is going to feel like. Turning 30 for me was more of an accomplishment. My mom, being the wonderful person she is, threw me a huge, amazing birthday party and invited all of my friends from all over. And family. Uh, so, it, a lot, a lot's happened in the last couple of years, and um, you know, my life has changed a lot, and my opinions on certain things have changed. And I guess what I've come to the conclusion is that I'm going to pursue a lung transplant. Woo! I want to say my gut told me, you know, but it's more than that. It just just feels like it's right. Because I analyzed it a lot. My gut told me that it would be best for me to just take the time I had and rather than, you know, chase some... Sort of pipe dream with this lung transplant. Um, Make the most of the time I had. Time with my friends. Time with my family. Just kind of be happy for every day. You know. And I did that. I did that for two years. I did what I wanted to do. I, I did it. Then we go back to that day of me coughing blood. That was a turning point for me. That was when I started thinking, you know what? Maybe I do want to try for a transplant. Like whatever happens, happens. I'm not nervous about it failing. I actually actually get nervous thinking about what I'm going to do with myself after transplant. Like, am I gonna have to go back to work, really?
0: (laughs) Some of the poems just kind of fly out of me. Um, This poem in particular came because a woman called me a dragon slayer. And I thought it really bothered me because I thought, I don't know, I just thought that's a weird personification of me. In the world of that, like a dragon, a dragon slayer, humans, mythology, I would rather be the dragon because the dragon, you know, doesn't ever get slayed by the dragon slayer.
1: (laughs) Ha ha, that's what this is really about. Dungeons and Dragons. It's a fantastic game where you can be anything. You can be anything you want. A warrior prince. An outcast wizard of dark magic. Hell, you could be an orc. Or a half-orc. (laughs)
0: I am a dragon. I fly through the sky, though heavy with wings like steel, never tiring. I land upon the sea, perched on delicate feet, never sinking. I plunge to the deepest depth of the sea, never gasping. I do not need to breathe like you. I do not need to breathe.
1: You could be a monk. I had a good friend named Xanthar. He was a half-orc monk.
0: I am a green-white, pink-white, purple-white dragon. I float into the clouds and am invisible. I climb among trees and am a giant. I balance on the mountaintop only to witness. I do not need to rest like you. I do not need to rest.
1: A great gold worm dragon, W-Y-R-M.
0: I am a mythical, imaginary, remembered, and forgotten dragon. I do not fly among you, but I would. I may not fly forever, but I could. I will not fly in silence, though I should. I am not defeated by you. I am not defeated, I am a dragon." People with CF, they have to beat the odds. So th- some things happen and are unexplainable and kind of seem to have a magical quality to them. When you know, if you grow up and people are telling you, oh, you're only going to live to your 10, and then you're 10 you're only going to live to your 15, and then you're 15 and then you're 25 and it goes on and on. There, it, it seems like there's a magical quality to it, you know, like, haha. Jokes on you, you didn't get me.
1: I'm excited to get the transplant. I'm nervous that I won't get lungs in time. I'm anxious, but just kind of like, you know, going crazy wanting it.